Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the Contender Cast. We're shining a light on bright ideas. Today is part two of COVID and college. And this week, we're talking admissions. Uh, for those that might have missed last week's episode, we talked college football with Tony Barnhart. Um, so if you haven't checked that one out, hit pause, go back and listen to that podcast episode. And today, back with us for our, the third time, another record holder, Rick Clark, who is the <laughs> head of admissions at Georgia Tech. Um, author of The Truth About College Admission, A Family Guide to Getting In and Staying Together. So, dude, Rick, it's so good having you back on the podcast. It's kind of crazy. I didn't plan this earlier this year, but it seems appropriate. <laughs> Absolutely. No, man. Thanks for thanks for having me back. It's good to good to hold a record of some kind. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of records being set right now. Um, so yeah, and it, what we've done for our listening audience, you know, we've taken a basically a two week pause from really focusing on the entrepreneurship and some of the the companies in the space that are really um, building and growing brands. And I, I thought it was important because, and you think about college, um, it's a big part of 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 building a business, of recruiting, of thinking about future talent and whatnot. I thought this would be a great little sidebar um, for two weeks. And so, Rick, last week, as you know, we talked to Tony um, about college football, which is just, you know, all of the ins and outs of things being considered uh, with with COVID going on. And so there's a lot of questions that parents have, that kids have, that um, companies have, quite frankly, about college and the admissions process and then just what's going on behind the scenes. And so I thought we'd unpack that today, if that's cool with you. And I know you're right in the middle of it. So it's got to have been an exciting couple of months, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's one word for it. Yeah, that is one word. It's, uh, it's definitely been, man, learning a ton, um, but frenetic. For sure. For those that don't know Rick, I, you know, I talked about his book and he's been on before. You should go check out the other two episodes. They'll give you some good coaching and guidance for like normal times of applying to college. <laughs> I'll say normal, like non-COVID times. Um, there's some great content there. It's so much fun. I listened back to them this week and they're great. Um, but Rick, let's talk about so COVID hits and it was early, it was spring. So, you know, everyone thought we're gonna go home for two weeks and we'll be back. Um, you know, no big deal. And uh, and the, and from a college admissions process perspective, where were we, or where were we in the spring coming into summer, and then where are we now? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And again, thanks for having me on. Um, looking forward to the conversation. So at that time, you know, mid March, honestly, the the right before we um, went out, we released our regular admission decisions. So we, we put those out on a Saturday and basically the world fell apart on a Tuesday. Uh, and, you know, it's so interesting because that is a, a such a huge moment in our world, because when you put those decisions out, you, you shift immediately into like convert mode. You know, the ball has been in our court. We've been sort of looking at things and we finally put these decisions on the street and it's all about yield. You know, it's all about convincing them now they should come. And Especially at a school like Georgia Tech, um, you know they're going to have options. Sure. I mean, they're they're going to have a lot of a lot of choices. And so we go from being very sort of um, you know internal to very external, you know, and starting to. I mean, that's the time where kids come. And in fact, our biggest visit month of the year is April, and you know that has long been held to be this critical 
time for families to make decisions. And that was all off. And so I'd say one of the biggest pivots that you've seen, and frankly, I think this is a good thing. And I know we can all identify tough parts of COVID, but one of the upsides going forward into the future is schools have put so much better content out online now. Stuff, honestly, we should have been doing. And I frankly feel a little convicted that we weren't. So like virtual visit type stuff? Yeah, we, we had it. It was out there, but we hadn't invested a ton, honestly. And so what you're seeing now and, and what we did and schools all around the country did was, you know, they stood up pretty robust virtual visits, um, better tours, better information sessions, you know, getting more voices and faces out there on these Zoom calls. So I would actually say the That's access to, yeah, it is actually, I mean, like, you know, we had never done, for instance, an admitted student town hall right. before. Online. Why would you need to do that? Just come to Georgia Tech and do that. It's like come to visit. And and frankly, that was a little bit of a kind of myopic view because there's so many reasons why kids couldn't come. And it's not just about money. It could be distance. It could be they're super busy playing sure. tennis. I mean, you know, <laughs> um, and so having like President Cabrera or our Dean of Students and others out there in an electronic kind of digital format, we did that. And um, I think we will do that going forward. And when I say we, I mean, colleges around the country. Um which is a good thing coming out of this. So that was where we were, um, you know, and I will say that Georgia Tech and a lot of schools that are healthy and have big reputations ended up putting a lot more admits out and went to their wait list a lot earlier in, in April before that May 1 deadline. A lot of schools also pushed their deadline. Um, as you said, a lot of people at that time thought, oh, this is going to pass. They'll, they'll end up being able to come. Well, you know, so they pushed to like June one and that all then eventually fell apart too. Um, so that's sort of where we were, where we are now is, <laughs> you know, we're, this is the time, especially in the South where schools are starting back, which means we're trying to get into those schools. Yeah, before we get there, I got a couple of questions for you though on the, so you talk about access. So just for those that haven't even been on a college visit or you're like a year or two out from that, like typically you'd come in and, you know, you'd have a tour of the campus. You'd spend time like maybe meeting a couple of members of the admissions group. Maybe that would work like for you, Rick, but you really wouldn't ever see, you know, the president of the university or any, like a broader set of, um, staff. And so I do think that, that that was upside maybe from this is getting more exposure to other parts of, I'll say, a campus or their 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 environments. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're looking at that now, you know, in college and high schools on, on some level, there's this whole idea of like flipping the classroom where, you know, you might watch an, a lecture online. And when you come to class, instead of having this world-class professor just talk at you, there can be a more robust conversation about the content. So kind of check out the content ahead of time and come and ready to discuss. Yeah, which is which is really great. I mean, and that had been a trend over the last couple of years in colleges, um, which makes a ton of sense. I mean, we all probably during our college experience were around these brilliant minds and they just talked at us. We didn't really get to interact a ton. That has been changing. And I think from an admission standpoint, a lot of schools are looking at it that way now too, which is, Hey, if we can put our best um, people out there in a digital format, uh, then when a kid comes to campus, then we don't need to worry about talking to them, for instance, here about Atlanta or co-ops or study abroad. They can have already heard that. Let's maximize their time then here, answering their questions, talking about admission, and then getting them out to see the campus. So um, 
you know, I think those are the type of upsides that we're discovering here um, going forward. So then you talked about uh, the waitlist process. For those who don't know the waitlist process, go back and seriously check out um, one of the other conversations we had with Rick because it's a fascinating process and it's 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 one that has unique elements to it. And then the past, Rick, you, you would say, hey, we need this specific type of person, background, kind of uh, profile. We'll go find that in the list. It's not like it's ranked one through 500 or 5,000. A couple of things have come into play now, right? So uh, there's there's rules and regulations about international students coming to be a part of any sort of online school. There's why should I pay out-of-state tuition if you're only going to be online? So I'm guessing there's a little bit of fruit basket upset in terms of the incoming freshman class. And maybe that's changed how you thought about the wait list. Yeah, big time. <laughs> and maybe other factors, right? I don't even know. But Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, so many of those things. Like, for instance, for us, you know, we're trying to bring in a class that's basically 60% Georgia, 40% non-Georgia. So, you know, as you look at the wait list, first of all, you're feeling pretty good about your Georgia numbers because what are the things people are worried about? Cost? Well, you got Hope and Zell. Uh, if it's online, you're not paying for uh, residential. It could be the deal of a right. lifetime. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're no basically you're free. free. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and then too, like, what else are people worried about? Going away a long way from home. I mean, is mom really going to let you go 500 miles away? Well, keeping kids close. So our Georgia numbers, we feel pretty good about. Yeah. We did go to the waitlist a little bit, but but not extensively. But I've kind of joked it was a great year to be from like New Jersey because <laughs> you know <laughs> when 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 the international thing started to unravel to right. your point, visa issuance, Correct. you know, political yeah. rhetoric, any of that stuff. Uh, schools, I mean, all my colleagues as I talk around the country, it was like they are doubling down and going bigger to non-residents um, if they're a public. You know, if they're a if they're private, it kind of doesn't matter as much. But but moving away from that international group because, as you said, it's a lot more tenuous. So you're you're right. So the out of state U.S. waitlist was a bigger play, is what you're saying, and a bigger opportunity for you guys, and not just you, but other schools. Interesting. That's right. Yeah, that was a trend, no doubt, no doubt. So I'm guessing you guys are working through this over the summer, right? And now here we are, end of July, about to go into first week of August. So what has transpired in terms of planning for the fall? And oh, by the way, I guess we're about to hit the next you know, admissions process, quote unquote. So where are we now? And yeah. this is where you were just a few minutes ago. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so it's interesting because you know, at a school like Georgia Tech or like when I was at Wake Forest and places like that, you know, you usually, you get your class, you work the waitlist, you dump your waitlist, and you you just let it ride. It's almost like roulette, sure. right? You, you just sort of like, that ball's bouncing, dealer calls no more bets, and, and it's going to land. And usually, you have a pretty good sense of it. I mean, part of what I get paid to do is predict enrollment. And, you know, honestly, that we've had to work so hard all summer to keep our right. class. I mean, we've been on the line, you know, and this is the kind of thing like, for instance, and Agnes Scott, right? Small Scott, by the way, for those listening, Agnes Scott, what small private college here in Atlanta. Yep. And you name it, you know, kind of small liberal arts, less uh, selective, not as big of a brand school around the country. Those, my friends at schools like that work all summer to just keep their class and make their class all summer long. And we, you know, schools like Georgia Tech and Georgia Tech specifically have had to work so much harder all summer to just keep those conversations going because we haven't had orientation. We Got haven't it. had people come in to visit. And so 
that's a bit of my concern. And I think I express that for colleagues around the country is we've had to work so much to just focus on the group coming and talk to them about, you know, face coverings <laughs> and social distancing and, and one way into the bathroom kind of stuff uh, and reassuring them it's going to be okay that we honestly haven't done the type of planning we usually get sure. to do. So it's going to be a real uh, scurry here you know, to, to, to move into that um, next phase. But that is what and we're is the primary towards. reason that y- you and your colleagues are quote unquote losing members of the class, just the concerns out of the virus or like, or is it other, you know what I mean? It is, it's, it's virus. It's um, families getting hit financially, you know, and, and needing to make different plans. They had deposited way back in February or March and, and things got turned over sure. for them. And now it's a stretch. Um, it is, well, you know what? Maybe I'll do a gap semester, a gap it. term, just sort of like this isn't how I want to start my college career. I'm going to put pause on this. And and that's another big thing that schools um, have been talking about is what are you going to do with your defer policy? So a lot of times the idea is, yeah, like, um, hey, give me a good reason and we'll probably bump you a year. Like, you're going to go get an internship. That's awesome. That's valuable. You're going to go travel in Spain and increase your language skills. Great. We're good with that. But do you put a like in schools are handling it different ways? They're like, okay, a hundred, nobody after that. Or, uh, you know, you can't just say you're going to go take classes in another college because they're worried they're going to lose that kid. So that's been a huge part of the conversation for colleges is your defer policy and worry around, you know, does that limit seats for the next year if you defer too many over? And let's say you are, your budget is more limited. Okay, let's you know, sorry, Johnny. You know, out of state school is not going to work. Take take classes here locally, and then transfer into um, you know, let's just say Georgia Tech or other. And in, in our previous podcast, you actually talked about you know that sometimes the best way to even get into a school like you mentioned Wake and Georgia Tech and others that are in that category, like, is to to go do some classes somewhere else first and in, in year two transfer in. Well, that I, I expect that would be potentially impacted like next year, you know, in this upcoming year from that. Yeah, I think that this is another thing that, you know, a place like Georgia Tech or UGA or kind of your bigger publics, I mean, they're already big into the transfer game. And that is part of their enrollment strategy because they're looking at the whole population, not just the first year class. How does that work? How does that normally work just for our audience? Transfer? Yeah. Yeah, they so that's where a kid, you know, just goes elsewhere um, for whether it be a year or two. That's sort of the traditional um, they take classes that are transferable and then they enter back in. Now, some schools have a like a articulated path, right? Where they're like, these classes, these grades, you're in. Other schools have either that plus or only a, hey, it's competitive, right? I mean, if you got a three six, then that might work, but we're just gonna have to see who else applies. Um, that does vary, but it's gonna be interesting to see schools like, say, I don't know, take like a Davidson. Um, or somewhere like that, um, who maybe they haven't been in the transfer game as much in the past. You know, they're pretty residential based. They're pretty traditional. A lot. They like that kid to come in, be there for four years. I think you're going to see a shift, maybe not right away, but I think that this is getting like VPs of enrollment around the country to say, man, I don't know. I mean, retention and, you know, just things are, there's a seismic change in higher education that's happening on all levels right now. Um, 
it is going to be, it really is going to be this sort of inflection point for higher ed, both in the way we deliver and instruct, uh, you know, online versus in person, not just for now, but I think for the future. And then absolutely on the enrollment side of things too. Um, this international thing is not going to recover next year. It's going to be a big tail. Unpack that for us a bit. Like, you know, we've we've seen the news and the rhetoric, you know, the political rhetoric around this. But explain what is truly the case and how it's impacting um, students from abroad. So I think we've talked about this before, but one thing that I also do is I work for the State Department a little bit and go to embassies and consulates around the world. And it's it's been interesting in the course of doing that over the last couple of years to see how aggressive other countries have become. And they've kind of knocked us, us being the U.S., off of that sort of like uncontested pedestal of the best at this in uh, the world, you know. And that was already happening. I mean, Spain, Netherlands, Australia, Canada getting a lot more aggressive around the world. And, you know, so we were already seeing students, uh, we're having to work harder, we US universities work harder to get those kids from abroad. Um, With these strained China relationships that we've got, and that being a major source of students to the US, I mean, everybody around the country will tell you the big three are India, China, South Korea, and, you know, China having risen dramatically. I mean, of course, you know, you've got, you know, that type of thing going on. Plus right now, this visa issuance problem. I mean, U.S. consulates and embassies around the world are, they may not be completely shut down, but they are backlogged. They're not able to get these visas issued as quickly. And, you know, that whole process is going to really be a problem um, because it takes, as you've probably yourself experienced with visas and stuff. And, and in the U.S., we do it a lot quicker than around parts of the world. Um, you don't just go do that. Yeah, you don't run down to the store and walk out with that. It doesn't work <laughs> that way. For those that haven't ever tried to get a visa, right? And in other countries, it's even more challenging. Big time, big time. And so, you know, that's where U.S. universities are very concerned, both in the short term for this fall. Um, and that's why I think you're seeing a bunch of schools pivot. I mean, um, you know, yet just yesterday, like American University, I believe Georgetown, a couple of others announced they are going online. Um, yes, part of that's the virus and worrying about the spread, but a lot of it too, I think, is you know, these international students who are are just not able to get here right now. That's interesting. So that's a, that's an actually an interesting trend. Um, so I'll, I'll give you an example. So you know, Kendall, um, my daughter, she's been she's been actually attending Penn State's global campus for a couple of years. Like it's, and so all of the all of what's um, transpired is like it, it, to her, it might as well just be like a normal day in the life of a college student, right? So <laughs> because <laughs> right. I, I mean, it's it's an amazing model. Do you think? more colleges will add that model or extend into that model, you know, not only this year, but just at make it another entry point, another uh, revenue source, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Especially schools with a brand. I mean, you know, Penn State's a good example. Uh, here at Georgia Tech, you know, we've made a lot of international news for having, you know, That's that right. online master's in computer science, yeah. right? And I mean, gosh, at this point, we're up to about a population of 36,000 students at Georgia Tech. 12,000 of those are online masters. So they may not even be in the state, city, country. They could be doing their masters. Yeah, That's correct. That's right. 
And I just don't see any reason why if you are a school that is among the best in the world at doing something, in our case, computer science, uh, why wouldn't you do that at the bachelor's level in order to find another revenue source, issue more degrees? You know, um, I don't know that Princeton's going to do that because maybe there's something about like supply and demand of a Princeton degree. Uh, But I think you're going to see that with the public's no doubt. And so maybe this accelerates some of that. Yep. Oh, I think so. Which is a good thing. I mean, that, that is, a, to your point about Kendall, I mean, look, giving kids that option and a, and a really quality education, I mean, we maybe have a bit of a antiquated view of what a college education needs to look like. I mean, and, and some people want that very traditional kind of classic campus experience, build the network, have the time to grow and mature. That's a good thing. But it's also a good thing to have iterations and variety in plattering, I guess, of options, right? Plattering. That's a nice word. I don't think I've ever <laughs> used that word before. Uh, yeah, me neither, actually. That one just sort of... <laughs> might not be. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was thinking about this, like, literally, it was we're sitting here, but, like, everybody's different, and that's okay. And everyone's college experience isn't going to be the same, and it doesn't need to be the same. And, and now, I think it's just... There'll be so many more options and so many ways to pursue what you want to pursue, regardless of where you are in the world. And that's just... You don't have to travel and live on campus in a traditional university and get the you know, anyway, I think there's a lot of other options out there. Um, soapbox. Okay. So, uh, we're going into fall for those listening that are, you know, thinking about, Hey, this is our year to apply to schools. And right now we'd be gearing up. Like what should they be thinking about those that are listening? They're looking for some coaching from you on how to be preparing for the next couple of months. Um, I got two or three things because I've been on a ton of webinars lately. Just talked to a group yesterday about this. Um, here are my three big points. One is, don't forget, this is a global pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> so global, <laughs> meaning all, and pan, also meaning all. Uh, so everybody's going through it. I mean, you know, oftentimes you have like an acute issue. A hurricane hits your town. You can't play tennis. You can't take the AP. And you're worried because you're not going to look as good as some other kid. You know, life for everyone around the world is is kind of on hold or disrupted, Right. Um, and so not being able to do that activity, not being able to, like, for instance, a lot of these junior kids that are now seniors that were juniors in the spring are worried, well, I didn't get grades or my grades were kind of weird or these AP tests, ACTI, that's a whole nother well, I thing. I want to put yeah. that up in a minute, so, by the way, put that over on the side. Go ahead. Well, that's number two. That's number two. So number two is test optional has blown I was going to say, you on the previous podcast, you told me how you guys use those scores and lots of schools use those scores. So now what? So, I mean, you're seeing this just... So uh, first of all, if anybody's listening, a great resource is... Um, not if anybody's listening. For anybody <laughs> who's listening... at least one person yeah, is listening. listening. <laughs> if anybody's listening who is wanting to uh, look into this a little further, I should say, um, fair test org, which is F-A-I-R test.org. Uh, there is a optional list on that top nav. And uh, a couple months ago, I bet there were a thousand uh, schools listed. Now that number is like 1,800. Um, and, you know, just yesterday, Clemson went test score optional oh, for wow. the year. Okay. Uh, University of South Carolina, University of Tex- uh, Tennessee, Knoxville. Um, you know, all these, in addition to tons and tons of privates around the country, point being that, you um, you know, right now it's questionably a health risk sure. to take tests, right. right? To go into these settings, uh, access to testing is is a major issue. I mean, these have been canceled all year long. I think eighty eight thousand kids around the country 
uh, have taken an ACT this year versus like 1.2 million wow. at this time last wow. year. So, I mean, it's sure. severe. Um, and so you're definitely seeing that. Um, and, and the biggest, what I want to say and what people don't believe is optional means optional. If a school is saying you don't have to send it, it's okay. They really mean Interesting. That. And kids don't believe that. <laughs> parents don't believe that. But it, it, I don't know how to like do a scout's honor on that, but it's true. And then the last thing, and, the, and I think one of the most important things is these kids that are seniors and their parents feel like they're kind of getting screwed. You know, um, it, you know, uh, classes are weird and activities are right. off and it feels like we're in a, oh my gosh, we're in a bad spot. But I want to just rewind to what we were talking earlier and say, now more than ever, colleges need students. Right. <laughs> they they want you guys. They want you at their school yes. and they're worried you're going to go somewhere else. Yep. I mean, that is the biggest message that I'm trying to tell students right now is up until this year at, at schools, you kept saying, oh, they're getting more selective. It's getting harder to get in. I don't think that's going to be true in the year ahead. I think that you're going to see a lot more schools putting a lot more admits on the street. It was true this spring and summer. It's definitely going to be true in the year ahead. And then how involved is admissions uh, with kind of the day-to-day ops of the school itself? It, you know, is admissions like heads down, our job is to get the next class, get keep the funnel full, right? Um, you guys figure out how to execute the programs. Is that how, how that's working? It's how it's basically worked up until COVID. Um, you know, yeah, we, we know sort of what size bed sheets you should bring <laughs> and we would be able to <laughs> talk about Single. that. Um, yeah, yeah. But like, I mean, I always say this is like, you know, it's like a quarterback who just hands off. I mean, we, we kind of, we get the ball, which is the class and we hand it off, you know, so we hand it off to orientation. We hand it off to housing. Sure. We hand it off to student life this year. We have been so involved. I mean, with all of those questions and needing to know way more details. So, and that's, yeah, like you said, that's not a bad thing. The, the collaboration, I will say, um, interestingly, because it hasn't been in person. Oh, that's true. Um, the, the, in, the communication has ramped up around campus. And this is not just here. This is around the country. Everybody's saying the same thing. Um, people are really working well together, stepping up. And at the end of the day, that benefits students, which is a good thing. This has been awesome. This is exactly what I was hoping we'd we'd cover today. And I learned the word plattering. Plattering, yeah. It might be like funner. funner. It could be like funner. I mean, it might not really be a thing. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> might not really be a thing. Do you want to share with our audience how they can uh, get in touch with you and, and read your blog and whatnot? Which I love your blog, by the way. It's amazing. Absolutely. Well, again, man, great to hear your voice and thanks for having me on. Um, yeah. So a couple ways. One is... Uh, on Twitter, Clark, the number two college. So at Clark two college. Uh, and then with, with Georgia tech, I do write a weekly blog. So if you go to the main admission page, you'll see it on that top nav for blog. Um, you can go there. And then we've actually been doing a podcast, um, as well, which is called the college admission brief, uh, just started this, um, and it's 10 minutes or less. So basically, it's geared toward um, students. We're, we're hoping that that's a medium. Like, hey, Ten man, minutes, dude. nine minutes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the intro and the outro, you can skip that. You got nine minutes, man. So um, 
I, you know, if, if, if a parent's listening that wants to like, it's thinking, okay, a kid's not going to read 1100 word blog, but they'll listen for nine minutes. Um, they could, that's also there on the, on the site. And then the book, Truth About College Admission, right? We, it's on Amazon. Uh, it's also through Johns Hopkins Press. So yeah, Truth About College Admission. Wrote it with a friend, uh, Brendan Barnard, who I think your readers might want to check out. He writes for Forbes, writes for uh, HuffPost um, and Thrive Global and also works at Harvard part-time. Uh, really, really great guy and good, very good writer. Well, all right, Rick, it's been great having you back on the podcast. Can't wait to hear how things go this fall. We'll get you back on. Maybe you'll take the lead. You know, four visits would be amazing on the podcast. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, been man. a lot of fun, but thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Justin. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck. You can download additional ContenderCast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.